Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and I have a special guest joining me for a action cult classic from the 90s, but before I introduce my special guest, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Instagram at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P, for all the latest news about when episodes are dropping, uh, we invite you to take part in our polls, suggest movies for us, give us feedback, all that good stuff. We are also available on Instagram, Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P, and join our Facebook group at the Cult Film Companion. We are also a proud member of the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to tr- well, to experience videos, video casts, and podcasts from around the world where we strive to bring you very informative content, but also very entertaining content. So please tr- check out all the great creators over at blindknowledge.com. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. Newsly picks up the latest trending topics from articles that you choose and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the web, the entire internet becomes listenable. Stop scrolling and start listening. You can browse and follow topics as specific as you would like from sports to science to Bitcoin to the Kardashians to movies and then they'll find the latest articles and then read them to you. They also have podcasts there. We are a featured podcast under the featured section, obviously. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M, Cult Film. Drop the I, pop it a one and get a month free of Newsly's premium subscription. Download and use Newsly today at www.newsly.me. Well, with all that hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way, I am very pleased to welcome my guest, Duncan, from the Good Day to Podcast. Duncan, how are you this evening? I am doing very good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining me this evening. For my listeners, um, they can follow you on Twitter at Good Day to Pod, G O O D D A Y T O P O D. Can you tell everyone about a Good Day to Podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So we talk about movies that we love as well as inter- interview independent filmmakers. So we actually have four episodes now releasing every week with a bunch of bonus episodes that we are doing such as one that's about the Marvel Cinematic Universe so if you're into Marvel there's episodes for you 
But then on our full-length episode, which releases every Friday, we interview independent filmmakers and focus on indie film making. And we really like to shine a light on creators who people may not have heard of or who should be getting more of a light shined on them and aren't. So we like to bring that um, attention. And we also get to talk to these creators, which is really phenomenal for us. But we have a whole bunch of different um, hosts who host different episodes each week. And if you check us out, like you said, Chris, on Twitter or Instagram at GoodDataPod, we post all of our episodes there so you'll never miss one. And you can catch up and find out, you know, what each bonus episode is about because we have different topics that we're going through on those. I don't, I don't want to bog it down too much by going into each one because, like I said, we have four a week. But the main one is independent filmmakers. So if you're into that kind of stuff, seriously, like our big one, that we started off with was Coherence. That's one of my favorite independent films of all time. And we had Jim Burkett on, the creator of that. So if you're into that movie, for example, go check it out. But if you want to find us on any podcasting app, so that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, all the other stuff, all the free ones, anywhere, you just have to look up the letters G, D, T, and then we're, we should be the first one that pops up. And you'll see all our episodes on movies, and uh, stuff we love. So that's what we do. And for all the listeners out there, I will, of course, link the uh, Good Day to Pod in the episode description. So uh, make it a little bit e- We try to make things a little bit easier for everyone today. And we are talking about a movie. I actually kind of threw this movie out, and I accidentally, this movie was so popular that two people uh, wanted to cover this movie with me, which was uh, exciting. Um, and you are the lucky contestant and I'm kind of interested, I'm kind of interested because before we started recording, you revealed to me, this is the first time you've seen this movie and we are talking about Leon the Professional, which is its full title. It was just known as Leon in the UK and Australia and was just titled the Professional in the US and it is a... English language French action thriller movie written directed by Luc Besson. Luc Besson. This is Luc Besson's first English language movie. He was previously best known for La Femme Nikita, which uh, spawned a TV series of its own name and also had an American remake starring Bridget Fonda called Point of No Return. And he's probably best known either for this movie, The Professional. Or also, uh, I believe it was 97 or 98, he did a little space opera, a, a very cool movie called The Fifth Element. He is also a pretty well-rounded screenwriter. He actually wrote uh, and created the Transporter series starring Jason Statham. Those were created by him. And he actually wrote one of my absolute favorite Jet Li movies called Unleashed. But uh, all that aside, we're talking about Leon the Professional, which stars Jean Reno as Leon, who is a cleaner, also known, or a professional hitman, who works for an Italian mob boss played by Danny Aiello, and he gets wrapped up in the family of a young girl named Natalie Portman, whose father 
has been mixed up with some crooked DEA agents and the head of the <laughs> DEA, Norman Stansfield, is played by a completely unhinged, chewing the scenery in a glorious way, Gary Oldman. And so Natalie Portman is playing a character named Matilda. Her entire family minus her, which includes her father, stepsister, stepmother, and four-year-old brother. The only one that she really cares about getting killed is actually her four-year-old brother. And she ends up, uh, Leon saves her, and um, they develop... A relationship which, depending on which cut of the movie you see, can be a little icky um, at times. But <laughs> uh, Duncan, what, what just your first impressions of um, Leon the professional? What did you think? Yeah, so I want to start by saying that this is a favorite of my father's, actually, and so that was part of you know what got me interested in it because I'd never seen it. I also like to fill in any gaps of my film history knowledge that I can. So that was also like whenever I get the opportunity to talk about a movie I haven't seen before, it's like okay, let's hop into that for sure. And this one really didn't disappoint in aspects. I watched the extended version, so I'm thinking that that was probably the ickier version mm-hmm. because I'm hoping there's not a worse version. Basically, mm-hmm. what, I'm, what I'm saying when I when I say that I'm, I'm assuming that this is the ickier version, but. I will say that that aspect I do want to get into a little bit um, Absolute, later on. Yeah, but, we 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 uh, need to it, we definitely need to address that. But just we'll just go with yeah. the general impressions for now. Yeah. Um, but I will say that you mentioned the unhinged performance from Gary Oldman. He's someone who I really love in general. But holy crap, was this fun? And like you said, chewing up the scenery. Like you could tell he's like hamming it up in a good way. Like he's having fun. And I love performances like that where it's kind of like it's just line reads uh, that ridiculous, but in a good way. And they work, and they're they're working for his character, I think, and he's great. I also really like I'm so bad with names, but Leon, the actor who plays Leon, I really thought he was great in it, and I thought that he. I was surprised that I hadn't seen him in more things. I guess he's not an American actor, so maybe he's in a lot of films that aren't English spoken is maybe my assumption because he was brilliant in this. I would be surprised that, you know, if he couldn't get work afterwards. Oh, Um, I'll just, I'll just clear that up for you. He is actually in the very first Mission Impossible movie. Oh, another one that I I, I haven't seen actually. I I have a lot of, uh, a lot of like action um, and like, um, I guess like crime type movies. I've, I've, uh, I've gapped it. I've, I've, I've met, there's just so many movies. You know what I mean? There are right. so many movies that I, I actually watch. I watch too many new movies, I think. And I need to do, get you better at, like, getting my history down. Because it's like, it's like, I'll watch, like, things that just pop up on Amazon Prime. And it's like a new sci-fi movie that's, like, very probably, like, lower budget and whatever. And I'll, I'll like, spend my time watching that. And it's like, oh, like, you haven't seen, you know, name a movie yet. And it's like, oh, why am I wasting my time on this one? But I... I, I digress a little bit there. But all the performances, I think, that's the big strong point of this movie. You know, even down to Natalie Portman, you're, you're not surprised that she becomes this powerhouse actor in the future because, like, down from the beginning, I think, I'm not sure exactly how young she is in this, like, around 10 years old, I think, and she just knocks it out of the park. I don't necessarily love her character. Like, at points, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be rooting for her more than I actually am right now. And I understand that she's got, like, a totally 
brutal life. Right. Up until we, we meet her, and then in the first meeting when we meet her, it's obviously just getting worse. But I will say that I had I had struggles at points where I was like, I'm more invested in Leon than I am Matilda, and I think the movie wants me to be a little bit more invested in Matilda. Like, there's points where she's like having like a happy moment, for example, and it's like, oh, I should be enjoying this a little bit more. Whereas I'm a little bit annoyed by her in general. And she's a kid, and she's a kid who's gone through some stuff, so that's not fair of me, but it is a little bit how I was feeling at certain points. And she's a crazy kid. I mean, she's smoking cigarettes at the beginning of the movie. She's, you know, obviously not your normal, however old she is in the movie. She says she's 18. She's obviously not 18. No. Everyone knows that. I think she's 12. She was she was 12 and, when she was cast in the movie. This okay. Was, so this, okay. this was her first role. Um, yeah, I, I did I did some research in the background about it, and it's 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 interesting. Uh, she absolutely loved the script. Her parents, on the other hand, not so much. Um, and we'll talk about it when we get into the aspects that, um, yeah, it's it's a little. But I just want to go back to um, Jean Reno. Uh, I believe he's French uh, with a name like Jean Reno, but he's playing a character named right. Leon who is commonly referred to throughout the movie as an Italian hitman, and he's clearly not. Um, I was so confused by that. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? there's a scene where Gary Oldman's like, so the, my one of my agents was supposed to do a buy with the... Well, I'm not going to say the racial slurs. He refers to right. the Chinese people as something. And he says an, uh, an Italian hitman showed up, and he was a professional, and I want to meet this Italian hitman. But, I mean, for me, and I found out that a lot of Gary Oldman's, some of the more bizarre line deliveries were, were improvised. Um, my favorite moment, and every time I watch this movie, even if I'm watching with somebody else, I have to rewind this one little line that he goes, what, right before he kills Matilda's father... He's talking about his love of Mozart, and he's going on and on, and he's playing, like, air piano. And then he, he says, I love Mozart, but he says it like he's having an orgasm. He's like, I love Mozart. And I'm just like, only he could get away with it. Um, and another scene that has since become a huge meme is towards the end where he's... <laughs> and it's kind of silly because it's it, it, his character is kind of out of place with the the gritted gritty reality of the rest of the movie but he's he's like he's telling everyone right before the final showdown he's telling one of the other cops um get me everyone and the guy goes everyone and he just screams at the top of his lungs everyone and like he's got this big shit-eating grin on his face um but like yeah it, i had to look it up because he's he's clearly clearly a crooked dea agent which means he's dealing with drugs and a lot of the drugs that are being handled throughout the movie are cocaine and heroin and whatnot but he's got these weird pills did you notice the weird pills that he like puts them in his mouth and he kind of snap like he cracks them open and then he does like a weird yeah. neck crick so a yeah. apparently that's supposed to be um 
Librium, which is in the benzodiazepine family. So, if you know anything about benzodiazepines, uh, the reaction he's having to these pills is quite the opposite of what an, a benzo is. A benzo, uh, it, a benzo is very much a sedative. The, I mean, the most com- right. uh, valium. Uh, Ambien is co- commonly used for um, for sleep, so the reaction he's having is more like he's like got like a instant crack hit or like some sort of upper. It's not a downer. Not that that's really important. It's just something that I kind of picked up on because I've watched this movie so many times um, that I I find myself picking up on little things. And yeah, I I, I somebody. I talked to somebody about else about this movie, and it, it's pretty much universally um, accepted that uh, Jean Renault is absolutely brilliant in this this very subdued, very. I mean, he is a professional. Like just everything that he does, like he's just got this very clear-cut mindset of the way he handles himself and the way that he handles himself in any sort of situation. And um, Natalie Portman, for being only 12 years old and not very experienced as an actress who has, who's gone on to become, um, you know, a, a very acclaimed actress. Uh, and a, a lot of times, I think that a movie... I mean, this extended cut is... It, it's over two hours long, and to spend over two hours with an untalented child actor is torture. It's like having somebody else's kid with you and you're not getting paid for babysitting. That's kind of what I compare it to. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, so it's kind of universally acclaimed, you know, their two performances are loved, but Gary Oldman's performance is, it, it, it falls very neatly into the either you love it or you hate it. Um, you could just love the batshit craziness of his performance or it could get on your nerves and be like because it does seem kind of out of place because for the most part we're dealing with very realistic kind of situations we're dealing with um police uh, corrupt police we're dealing with the mafia having you know Hitmen that they rely on to do jobs professionally, and this kind of bizarre <laughs> character that kind of seems like he's in like he's in a different movie. I mean, there's one part where he gets shot, and his only reaction is like, "They ruined my 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 suit." <laughs> And then there's an old lady that comes out and he just like straight up shoots right at her, like next to her. It's like he's like a cartoon character. Like, you know what I'm saying? He kind of seems out out of place. If you're willing to go with it, um, it's fun. But I mean, and if you've seen have you seen anything else by Luke Besson off the top of your head? Have you seen The Fifth Element? Fifth Element is a, is a favorite of mine. I okay. like loved that from my first watch of that, and I watched that when I was young too. So I, I could, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like a young kid could e- easily go either way on that. Like, oh, very cool, sci-fi spaceship. Like, I'm in on it. Or they could be like, what the hell am I watching? 
you know? Yeah. But, I mean, so he's he's kind of, he's more, it's clear, you know, something like The Fifth Element. Um, more recently, he did um, a movie called Valerian. And then he did a movie called Lucy with Scarlett Johansson. And I think he's done some animated movies. And like I said, he he's written, you know, the Transporter movies with Jason Statham, which are just like, before the Fast and the Furious, like, that was the Fast and the Furious with, like, absurd car chases and stunts. So he's not really so much... He's more interested in, like, a heightened sense of reality. Um, so I could see where tonally this movie is kind of all over the place as far as Gary Oldman's character. But, um... Let's just, um... As much as I love this movie, there is a certain aspect, and we kind of tip, mm-hmm. we kind of tiptoed around it. Let's yeah. just um, let's just face the elephant in the room. Uh, it's very, very clear that um, Natalie Portman's character, Matilda is the victim of not only physical abuse, but I'm I'm just going to speculate, based on the small amount of time we spent with her family, uh, emotional and psychological abuse as well, as and neglect. I think that's kind of fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Just say, she... she <laughs> well, she says it too. She, ba- she says that she's falling in love with Leon and right. and we're not talking like your I think what she, what she's looking for is a father figure um but being and I've being a cis white male I've never been a pre-teenage girl so I only can imagine the amounts of emotions and hormones firing around in your uh, cerebral cortex at this time uh, that she is actually in love with Leon and there are parts that get very very uncomfortable and that was a lot of those scenes if you've watched so you watched the extended cut yeah. The what happened was when they did these screenings and this is going to be one of those things well the Europeans got it and the Americans then the Americans were either laughing at these scenes or they were just like mortified by these scenes. Um That's interesting. I don't know if you if you don't mind me hopping in for a second. No, of course, please. I'm I'm interested by that because that was reaction like okay I understand like if they're laughing at it right cutting it sure but if they're mortified by it I can't understand why you'd want it in the film if not to mortify someone you know what I mean it's because to me that would be the only intent and I'm not even saying that like even if that's your intent if that's not always what I'm looking for like I get very uncomfortable about stuff like that Mm -hmm. and in film um, obviously in real life, like, more than uncomfortable. But, like, watching it in film, when, even when I know everyone's actually safe, right? It's a very uncomfortable topic for me. And it's got to be done, for me at least, in a way that 
they're like very explicit in like saying like no like this is like no bueno this is like here's why like she feels this way for example like i wish they were more explicit in what you're saying about how she's maybe she loves leon but she's not in love with him and she's misconstruing that and she's taking it in a very sexual way like she's talking to him about like losing her virginity yeah. and stuff like that and i actually was wondering if I was maybe reading into that scene, but when she talks about her friends not enjoying their first time because it wasn't with someone they loved, I was wondering if that was kind of saying that maybe she knew some people who were actually assaulted by like like family members or something like that. And like they, the first time wasn't with someone they loved because they were um, a victim of that type of thing. But I could be reading into that. I, I don't know. It may, it may, it's, it is like icky was the way you, you, you described <laughs> it first, and like it like you know it makes your skin crawl a little bit. Like movies like that, I've never seen like Lolita, but like I'm very like like I shy away from wanting to see that because it's like okay, like do I do I even like want to get myself into that kind of story right now? Right. Like I, yeah, I feel like and that's like maybe not the, the best way to approach art, right? Because art is supposed art is supposed to challenge you. Sure. But for for me, I feel like. I broaden my horizons for a lot of things and just like I just get it like I just don't enjoy watching it I'm not saying again like I'm not saying it's like not okay to like to, to show it in certain ways that like kind of should put a like negative light on it for example and stuff like that and like to talk about it like, it's, like I think it's important to bring the subject up certain times sure I just personally when I'm watching a movie it's like it makes my skin crawl you know I mean, because the idea of like, because then I start thinking about like how like that's not that's not just a fake thing that actually happens, right? Like it's a real life, like awful thing, and like obviously so is murder. But like I don't know. To me, there's different degrees. Like kind of like what Leon says: no women, no children. It, you know, that's like the children aspect of it. Like when you, when you're like when you when you do anything to hurt a child, especially like that, it's like very like it it makes you uncomfortable. It should make everyone uncomfortable, obviously. But like it's for me, it's rough even in movies, I guess. And so, like, I'm not, again, I'm not giving this as a, as a critique of the movie necessarily, but for me, like, that's a part where, like, I have trouble with it. And I have trouble with Leon's reaction to it. Because he's, like, saying no, 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 but then he's also, like, like I almost feel like he's, like, caught up in, like, a do I love her back? Of, like, he's not sure. And maybe I'm misreading that, but I would have liked for him to be more explicit, like, like at least I would have liked, for us as an audience to know that he would never do anything like that. Right. You know what I mean? And I didn't get the feeling that he would based on any of his actions because he was, I was, like I said, I was very invested in him as a character. Um, Gary Oldman was my favorite performance, but as a character, he's the one that I was the most invested in more than Matilda, which again, I think that the movie maybe wanted me to be a little bit more invested in Matilda. Oh, it, yeah. The point, the point, I guess, is that I'm, because I'm invested in him, I think he's a good guy. I don't necessarily think he's going to do that kind of stuff, but the film is like, close to that line with him like at certain points and again maybe I'm misreading it and maybe he is like more explicit in it but I was getting like a sense that I would have liked him to be a little bit more like upfront and been like no like and here's why and like right like, kind of like explain and be more of a father figure to her and less of a like and, and, like he didn't he didn't push her away enough I guess and there was one scene in particular where she first tells him that she thinks she's in love with him I apologize if you can hear my dog barking in the background, by the way. Oh, no problem. And, and he's like, I got to go to work. I hate being late to work. And he walks out and you see him kind of like slink against the wall. And maybe that's because he's like, oh, how do I deal with this? This, this goddamn kid, like, is so 
messed up in the head that she thinks she's in love with me. But to me, I kind of read it like a, he was like, again, like almost like conflicted, like, a, oh, like, do I love her back? That's right. And again, so like you tell me about if you read that completely different than me. So, so I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done on this show before. I'm going to play both both sides of the argument here for you, and uh, I'm going to allow okay. you, of course, to interject. Um, because I've done... I, I, so this is what happened. This is my relationship with this movie. This movie came out 94. Um, I probably saw it in the late 90s, and then in the early 2000s, I saw it a couple times. And I hadn't seen it for a while. And then I started doing the show... And I was like, oh, I should probably do a Luke Besson movie. And I was going to do the fifth. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't seen Leon the Professional in a while. So I ordered it. And I, so the, we're talking like a, I've seen it now probably about half a dozen times. Now, I don't know for sure which versions I saw the first time around. But I can tell you this. What happened about a month and a half ago when I f- ordered this and I got the nice Blu-ray and I got the option of the theatrical cut or the extended cut, I went. I, I generally go with, oh, well, if it's a movie that I, I remember liking, I'm going to go with the extended cut. And after watching the movie, I had the exact same reaction you did. I was like... Uh, like, I don't remember this being so explicit. But, on the other hand, like I said, I'm going to be playing both. I'm going to be playing, uh, I guess, Devil's Advocate. I'm going to be playing the angel and the devil on your sh- on your shoulder. Because, so, this is where things get a little weird. Uh, Luke Basson has been married at least four times. His second wife was uh, 14 when they met. I think they got married when she was 16. He was in his oh, 20s. No. Again, we're talking Europe. We're, t- we're not talking U.S. Mm-hmm. laws here. Now, I will say yeah. that I will say this, though. She was the aggressive one in the situation. It's not like he was, and I know, like, this gets into this whole, like, consent and laws and ages and kind of thing. And so, uh, some of the bonus features for this movie I watched, and there's actually interviews with her, and a lot of this movie was very much based on their relationship. As in... Natalie Portman's character, Matilda, being the aggressor in this situation and Leon not, you know, not, not having it. He's not, this is, this is not a, it's almost like the, like you said, he's got this line of no women, no kids. And I guess when it comes to, when it comes to, um, Sexual relations, uh, no men, no kids. I would say would be Leon's code. So there is a lot of realism in this movie. Now, again, things get a little ugly behind the scenes here. So she was very much, she has nothing but 
nice things to say about uh, Luc Besson and their relationship. And he kind of presented this script to her as a gift, and she was thrilled. She said it was the best gift that she's ever gotten. They eventually had a child together. They are on good terms. They're divorced, but they're co-parenting. They are on good terms. There is the whole age difference kind of thing. But she was the aggressor in the situation. Now, to your point about feeling uncomfortable about it, that's the way I felt a month and a half ago. Now, earlier this week, when I rewatched this movie... I kind of picked on, I picked up on the fact that it's not as explicitly clear that, um, you know, like what this relationship means to Leon. It's not very explicitly clear, but I got the feeling throughout the course of this movie, throughout the course of this relationship, that he. I never thought for a single second that the, a line was going to be crossed where this was going to become extremely inappropriate. I think that sometimes some of the stuff that, like you said, some of his reactions, I didn't really handle it all that well. I think like the first time she like they're talking, she goes, and what's your name? He goes, Leon, and he's drinking a glass of milk and she goes, oh, that's a cute name. And he does like a spit take. Yeah. Um, so, I never got, I never, like, got the feeling of um, that anything inappropriate was going to happen. I never got to that point where I'm like, I kind of reached for the remote and being like, I don't think I should be watching this or I'm going to end up on some fucking list, you know? Right, 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 exactly. So, I think that if you eventually come back and revisit this movie, really pay attention Uh Jean Renault made a very calculated effort to kind of play Leon not as um, stupid or not as like slow, not like Forrest Gump, but uh, just a street smart individual. When we meet him, he can't read. She teaches him to read. And yes, the, she's getting. I mean, I just remember there's there's like one scene that was absolutely just like not needed. Like I kind of get her flirting with him in private. I kind of get that. But there's a scene where she straight up tells a hotel clerk, oh, that's not my real father. We're lovers. And I was like, no, that... Mm. That that scene did not need to be there. Um, so I definitely got the. Fe- I never thought in the in what we saw. I never got the feeling that. I think that she was looking for a father figure, and unfortunately, if and again, I don't want to speculate on the minds of the psychology of fictional characters, but I just know that if you come from, I mean unfortunately it's kind of a joke cliche, they say a girl's got daddy issues, you know, that kind of thing, um, and it's not a joke it's it's actually serious stuff that's going on here um, she's looking for a father figure and I think that she's at this age of curiosity 
and I I think that she has no one in her life but but Leon and initially he doesn't even like want he's like well you could stay here you he's basically he's like well you had a rough day yeah no shit her entire family just got killed you could stay here for the night but and he's like in the morning did you sleep okay she's like yeah he goes good have some breakfast and you're out of here and she has to like talk him into staying so there's no I never got the sense that there was any predatory behavior from Leon and in fact I really think that all of that was cemented in the final scene that they have together they're stuck in this apartment the police are right outside he takes an axe to the wall so she can climb down like an air duct and they share this moment where he says that he finally says that he loves her and it doesn't come across as like long lost lovers we're gonna have a kiss goodbye it comes across like a father knowing that he needs this is his surrogate daughter um, and that's the kind of relationship that I saw growing that he sees her kind of like the daughter that he never had and he takes her under her his wing and she becomes like his protege um, so I, I kind of see it as she being very, very confused, um, but he's never, he's like, like, he's like, when she, when she says stuff to him, like, he will just say, absolutely not, because they're celebrating her yeah. first kill, and, and she's like, well, if we're celebrating our first, how about a kiss, and he's like, absolutely not, and so I never got the, and I think the one time that he buys her a gift I mean, and this is just this kind of like it's the little things like this that kind of cement to me in my head that this is not a predatory behavior. Look at look at the dress that he buys her. It's the most wholesome kind of like cover up, like yeah. no no shin, no skin showing compared to what she's usually wearing, like from her own clothing. So I mean, it's little stuff like that. But you no, know, I had the same reaction. I was like. Oh, this movie's yucky. And then watching it back this week, yeah. this week, I was like, okay, I, I, I kind of see. So, do you see? Do, am I making sense here with my points at all? Oh, definitely, I, I definitely can see that, and I want to read it that way for sure because I like the character of Leon, so I don't want to think of him in that way. But I just, I guess, it's not something that's gonna make me hate the movie. It's not something that necessarily even, like, couldn't be fixed on a rewatch, like you're saying. Right. It's just something that, again, I right now at least, on this watch, yeah. I wish they had been a little bit... And maybe the, I'm asking for them to hold my hand, and that's stupid, but I wish they had been a little bit clearer. Not because I think I'm walking away being like, oh, this is okay. Like, I'm not... That's not... I'm taking away from this, obviously. And, like, I'm, I have a big enough brain to be able to make my own opinions and, of course. and realize yeah. that you know, fucked up to begin with. Like, it was messed up before the movie, and it still is. But I will say that I think that, like, you can walk away from that movie and be like, oh, how does that filmmaker actually feel about that kind of thing? And then finding out that he did marry a 14-year-old the question, you know, how does he actually feel about this? What uh, is his take on it? And I'm all about death of the author, 
So it doesn't his opinion on it doesn't necessarily mean any more sure. than yours or I mine, right? Because once he's made the film, it's out there, right? right? He doesn't he doesn't have ownership over it anymore. At least that's no. you know, what that the author posits, I guess. But uh, I'm a big fan of that theory and stuff, and I like. I like letting everyone have their own interpretations of it, but I would love to know, like, what exactly he... I don't know if maybe in any of the bonus materials he, like, went into, like, his thoughts on that relationship, but I do... I want to say that I, I like what you said about, like, how that at the end, when he says, I love you, so I'm waiting, I'm like, you've got to say it, you've got to say it, you know, she's been saying it the entire time, he hasn't been saying yes, I love you. Right. And he did, and it feels more like a he knows she has to hear it type thing, and he's not going to get the chance again. It, she... More so than a, like like a promise to like actually ride off into the sunset and like be with her. Right. Because she even like, she kind of calls his bluff. She's like, mm. she knows that this is like, this is their last stand. And she even says like, I, I know this isn't going to end well. I know, I know. So it's finally, he finally realized the only way that she's going to live through this is by, I tell her that I love her. And he, she's what he says is like, he, you gave me like a, a something you gave me like a lust for life again with all that being said you asked about how the director really feels are you ready to feel a little gross yeah all right uh so apparently again i've not read the original screenplay i'm just going by the research that i've done uh there was uh there was a draft of this script where they ended up being lovers I'm really, really glad that's not the version we got. But yeah, I feel I feel like you asked. Um, so I'm gonna tell you that's what that's <laughs> and like I said, it, it's it's weird. Like it's one of those things. Can you judge the art from the artist? Are you able mm-hmm. to separate it? For me personally, I take it on a case by case basis. Um, so I'll say, for example, um, I'm okay watching a Luc Besson movie because yes, there, there have been allegations made against him. Um, but nothing to do, nothing, actually nothing to do with Leon, the professional. I'm not even familiar with the actress that made allegations against her, uh, against him. They didn't seem to go anywhere. But on the flip side, uh, do you know who Victor Salva is? I don't, actually. Okay. Are, have you ever heard of the, the horror movies Jeepers Creepers? There's like three yes. or four of them now? Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen the first one, actually. Okay. Um, I refuse to watch anything by Victor Salva. Be... Okay, so I didn't know. Any, I didn't know that there was anything <laughs> behind it. What I did. Don't don't get mad at me for no, watching. Oh no no no! I I do not I do not judge. I don't judge people. Yeah. For, I'm just saying me personally, and right. the reason that I make such a hard stance is because, like I said, when we're dealing with allegations and we're dealing with innuendo, we're dealing with rumors, we're dealing with people pointing fingers. That's one thing. Now. Why I draw the hard stand at Victor Salva is because this disgusting, and I'm, I'm sorry, I usually do not insult people on the show, this disgusting man filmed himself molesting a young child on the 
on the um, set of one of his movies filmed himself. Now, there is no, there's like, you kind of, when people, when you're throwing out accusations against someone, there's always that little wiggle room, you know, because you could be like, well, yeah. you're stretching the truth. A homeboy filmed himself. <clears throat> Guy did like, yeah, he only ended up. He only ended up doing a couple of years in prison. This was before the Jeepers Creepers movies came out. He actually came really? up. He wrote the first Jeepers Creepers movie in prison. Um, enough about him. I don't want to give him any more attention. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I do. I certainly. And that's the thing. I used to get into heated debates with people about it. I'm like, if you're able to distinguish between the art and the artist, that's completely fine. There, I actually did not find out about this until I had already seen the first Jeepers Creepers movie. And I actually dug the first Jeepers Creepers movie. Not to the point where I'm willing to kind of compromise my uh, my moral opinion of this guy to, to watch anything else by him. Um, so, I mean, but getting back to Luc Besson... Yes, there, there apparently it was much more explicit. And again... I mean, we're 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 coming from a kind of our American point of view, and right. and things are different in Europe. And like I said, it's it's channeled through this movie that you know this his second wife was very much the aggressor in the situation. Um, I'm not saying that that makes it okay. I'm just saying that that's the way it it was. And I'm certainly glad that they toned down that aspect and that wasn't I mean that 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 scene was cut like uh, before like they even started casting so like this wasn't a script that Natalie Portman read and been like right. oh I had to have a link I mean there were spoke I mean so and like I said her parents had very strict conditions about the the things um, in the movie uh, they didn't want her to be it, one of the so they did have a scene, not and again this is tame compared to them actually becoming lovers and having like a sex scene together. There was supposed to be a scene where Leon accidentally walks into the bathroom and she's like stepping out of the shower or something, and he's like mortified and like does like a double take and like immediately shuts the door because he's shocked. And she's kind of supposed to be like nonchalant about it. That got nixed. They were like, nah, you know what? We don't need that. Gone. Um, yeah, that's why I feel better too. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, um, and when we get into wrapping this up in a little bit, I, yeah. what I will, will say um, is that if, if that kind of stuff makes you uncomfortable, um, which I, I completely understand, um, I would say check out the theatrical cut and you're going to see a lot of that innuendo stuff cut out and it's much more straight, just a lot more straightforward action kind of movie. So that might make it a little bit more digestible for people. But I, I on this show, I like to like dive in deep and find out all the nitty gritty. So Natalie, yeah, Portman, yeah. Natalie Portman's parents wanted, they were like, okay, there can only be four scenes where she's smoking. She can never inhale. They cannot be real cigarettes. And um, she needs to quit, which she does in the movie. Um, she actually ends up quitting smoking. Um, 
It's okay if she uses swearing for a little bit, but then there's clearly a scene where Leon's like he he very much, and this is another scene where uh, this is another little scene where it very much feels like a father talking to a daughter, not a man talking to someone that he's trying to groom. He's like, I don't want you smoking, I don't want you hanging out with this this low life guy. And I don't want you cursing like that anymore. It's very much like a paternal kind of thing, like the kind of way a father would talk to a daughter. So they were very kind of, um, uh, you know, straightforward about what the whole thing was. Uh, Natalie Portman's mother was on set the entire time this movie was being filmed. Um, And so this movie, I mean, it's... Were you aware that this movie was shot in Paris and New York City? Oh, no. I don't think that that, like, comes across, like, in a way that is distracting at all. Like, I just, I felt like I was wherever I was. I actually didn't even think about it being where it was, like, where, where, like, where is it? Um, other than I think those cop cars I've seen in a bunch of movies. I think those are, like, old I got New York cop cars. Right, yeah. So all the exterior shots, all the outside shots, that was all shot in New York City. But all the interior shots, all the different apartments, because they had to apartment hop from place to place because she'll shoot out a window or uncomfortably tell the hotel manager that they're actually lovers. And um, But, yeah, all those interiors were shot in Paris. So, um, yeah, um... And I don't really want to get into it because I don't know too much about it because I've gotten I, I, I've got conflicting reports about how Natalie Portman feels about this movie from. Uh, OK, so I'll just briefly get into it. So on the, there's a bonus feature where. So this movie came out in 94. So it's either the 10 or 15 year anniversary where they all look back on the movie and um, she has nothing but good things to say. Uh, But cut to um, where is this cut to not so long ago she did make comments about being uh, sexualized in this movie and it's kind of disgusting because it's not just this movie she was talking about how like this shock jock radio station had a countdown to her 18th birthday I mean that's just gross like yeah I mean that's just fucking illegal (laughs) Um, yeah, that, that, that's just like, that's just like, oh my gosh, how much attention can we get? Um, so initially she said like in the 10 or 15 year retrospective, she had nothing but good things to say, but then there was, um, she did say that she didn't, and there are scenes where she's kind of sexualized in this movie, particularly there's a scene where she dresses up like Marilyn Monroe and there's a scene where she dresses, she dresses up like Madonna. Again, you know, I, I we don't know what the intent behind the director was. I mean, there was never, like I said, his, his, uh, Natalie Portman's mother was on set the entire time. There was no sort of um, inappropriate behavior. But 
not, that's not to say that there couldn't be underlying kind of things that this director is working right. out in his head. Um, again, I, we get, I don't, please, please. You know, I was going to say, like, I don't want to like, cause like, you know, I, I mean, I, I was a little uncomfortable with it. Right. Right. But I don't want to like bog down too much. Like, cause I, like there's, there's good things out of the film. And like, I, you know, I do want to, um, make sure that we don't just like rip apart this part or get too right. like focused on this part because like, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying like, Oh, don't watch this movie because of this. Cause I'm not saying that. I'm, no. I, I do think it's challenging. I will say, like, on the note of, like, way, like, it, her being sexualized in the movie and you bringing up, like, that was the first thing that comes to mind. But when right. I was watching it, I was like, okay, I don't really, really feel the need to be seeing, like, a 12-year-old in a brawl, which I don't know. I'm sure there was there was something underneath it. But, yeah. like, you know, I was just, like, not really. Not my thing. Yeah. You know, with the lipstick and everything, it's just, it's, it's sexualized. In, in, in it ways. is. And it's, right. And, and I'll say that there was also, and this is kind of, if I'm playing the, the devil's advocate, saying, like, Maybe you know this director doesn't have the best um, intentions. Sometimes um, is that I felt like the camera shot her sometimes as it would like the lead actress who you're supposed mm-hmm. to be attracted to in, in another movie. Like and there was like, like times where like he, right? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. There's one shot in particular, like, she gets out of bed, and it's, like, it very much, like, followed her out of bed like it would, like... Yeah. Let's just say what the camera wasn't on her head. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, so, um, but I think... So it, I, that one, I was like, what? I mean, are we, like, watching, like, a 21-year-old right now? All right. Like, that made you a little uncomfortable. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's like... Stuff like that. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like the way Michael Bay films Megan Fox in the Transformer movies. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of like, eh... You know, but I think you make mm-hmm. a good point. Let's let's just put all that negativity of, of behind us and focus on the fact that this is a badass hitman story, and I love I love him being the reluctant teacher and teaching her all the little things about what it means to be a cleaner. And about how, like, just the little stuff, like, um, uh, when you're using a scope, you don't put it up to the, because it'll draw the attention of the, the sunlight. And I love them using paintballs, like, as training. Yes. Like, that's so much fun. Like, <laughs> like I, 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 I forgot that scene. I'm like, is she really going to shoot this guy? And then, like, he, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> Um, shot the, the tension is they're building up the tension like like they making you think that they're about to shoot this person like they shoot they show you beforehand getting out of the car they show you him like there's a line and you gotta make this look like real or whatever like they're, they're, they're letting you know like they want you interested in him they're, they want you to like be tense about her about to kill this guy mm-hmm. and then he just takes me like I'm fine I'm fine and I was like wait is he fine like oh he is fine and then she has a line like where it's like oh next time can we use real bullets and I was like okay it wasn't real bullets yeah <laughs> And then it's it's built up even more because then there's this scene where they um they start kind of they're trying to find out exactly who killed her parents, and it, it, we get like it's almost like a like a comedian that like starts with a joke and then builds upon that joke because we get like the long distance sniper rifle paintball gun and then we get the up close and personal paintball gun with that uh with the drug dealer, mm-hmm. who's like. 
he is so uh, I love this guy's performance. He's only in the movie for like two minutes, but he is so confused because <laughs> you got to figure this guy who looks like a straight up hitman with like the wool beanie, the black glasses, like the overcoat. And then he's got like a little 12 year old girl who's like a mini me version of him. And they both have guns and he looks so confused. And then she shoots him. It's a paintball gun, and he gets even more confused. And then Leon's like, next shot needs to be a little bit higher. And, like, he's teaching her, like, the whole time this guy's like, what is going on? And he's like, never shoot them in the face, though, because you won't get paid, because then they won't know that if you actually got your target. Um, I love these little things about, like, teaching her. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because, like, he doesn't want to do it, but... I mean, I think he kind of gets, he's like, well, I really have nothing else that I could possibly teach this girl other than what I do for a living. And that, that just happens to be killing people professionally. And I like their little, there's like a little montage of them tracking down all these different people and they get their routine down. He's got the bolt cutters and the bubble gum to put in the, uh, you know, in the peephole and all that kind of stuff. Um... What aspects about that did you uh, happen to to really kind of that really caught your attention? Yeah, so well, that montage to begin with, I loved the editing, and that was great. I liked how it didn't um, go straight from editing the thing to it didn't like go um, doorbell cut gum doorbell cut. It kind of went it would go gum gum. Doorbell, gum, cut, cut. So it would jump around like it wasn't like um, a series, but I liked that. It was really cool editing there. And just in general, yeah, I liked the fact that he was teaching her. I thought that all the little tidbits he was teaching her sounded like real tips. And that's important. I've talked about on GDT that for me, it's important when someone's supposed to be good at something, be it an artist, a musician, a poet, a lot of times it's art or being the smartest person or being a really good hitman, it has to be believable that they're good at it. So like if I tell you that this guy is a brilliant artist and then I show you his art and it's kind of shit art and that kind of undercuts what I've been telling you. Right. So if you tell me that this guy's a great hitman and then I don't really, his tips sound like bad tips or the action isn't like he, he seems very killable, for example, those would be things that would undercut that and you'd be like, well, no, he's not a great hitman. Kind of like how like whenever they introduce like um a lot of times in like franchises they'll introduce a villain who's gonna get killed or defeated that time and they'll introduce him as being this like badass and then like they never actually do anything you're mm. like oh <laughs> you've told me he was a badass but he got stopped right away yeah. you never actually see them do anything badass and for me this works in the in the opposite way where they told me or they show you really that he's a crazy hitman and then they tell you to like a little bit in the dialogue then it's believable throughout, not only in the way he's teaching her in the tips, the action is great. He, I mean, he's dragging people around apartments with guns in their mouths. It's yep. amazing. He's, you know, waiting around the corner for the DEA agent and has oh, the guns yes. in his head so that he can yeah. have them release the girl. Stuff like that. He's falling from the ceiling. Amazing. He's dropping nooses down from the ceiling and choking someone in the opening scene. Stuff like that. They're showing you that he's a badass man, and it's so believable, and I love that. But 
on top of that, on top of it being like, okay, he's efficient, it is inventive action. And that's something that for me is one of, if not the most important thing, one of the most important things when it comes to films is I want something that's new. I want something that feels new. I want something that's doing inventive things, be that in the acting, be that in the editing, be that in the story, even in the directing. Like people like Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, so many directors, but those are the first two that just popped into my head. They're contemporaries, obviously. And their directing can really be inventive and stuff like that. The Coen brothers are another great example. I don't know. There's so many. And stuff like that really when it's inventive, when it's new, can really breathe life into a film because there's so many stories. There's been so many stories told. There's been so many movies made. I've already talked about that. And because of that, it's hard to make things feel fresh sometimes. Everything feels like it's been done at, at certain points. That can be frustrating. Sure. But on top, what, what the flip side of that is, is that it, while it can be frustrating, it can also be one of the most rewarding things then when you find something that feels new, feels fresh, feels inventive. When he's putting his gun through the hole in the wall and shooting someone, when he's doing all those other crazy, you know, dropping from the, the ceiling, like I said, and doing the news from the ceiling, stuff like that, that kind of action, and they're showing me that, I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling like I haven't seen this before, so I haven't. And maybe it hasn't done other movies. I haven't seen all the movies, so I don't know. Sure. But for me, it's the first time I was seeing that kind of action are like those those stunts and for me that's really important and I, lo- I love that in a story a lot of times like i really like a story that feels new because for me it really does feel like stories just get retold and retold and i know they, they say there's like what seven types of stories you can actually tell <laughs> but that's why i love a twist yeah i suck up for twist because then it feels like it's a new story it's inventive right so this is inventive in the action i really wanted to make sure that we touched on that because oh. I thought the action was phenomenal yeah the action is great and you brought up such a good point that it, movies are an audiovisual medium. I, I I don't think you know it's it's hinted that he's clearly. I mean it it just. I mean you could tell that the uh, his his boss uh, thinks very highly of him and that he's a very skilled professional and he's very good. Like he's like the top guy that they get. That 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 opening scene where um he's he gets that. He's basically sent to deliver a message to that fat guy that you're leaving town today and you're never coming back. But uh, yes, the action is incredibly inventive. It's especially the that last scene, like you said, the way it's set up, it's brilliant um, because, like, it's set up. She's going. She's um. She's going to get groceries, and he goes, "Don't forget the code when you come back." And and sure enough, the uh, you know the cops, the DA agents are all waiting there for them. But that from then on, like this climax is just so incredible. Like like you said, we've got and the reoccur- we get kind of a reoccurring, which is it's funny in the in in the sense of the final shootout. But I, Leon's actually he says it's his best friend. Leon has this plant. And <laughs> it's funny because he loves this plant and he, he like all he wants to do is take care of this plant. And there's two scenes where they have to move apartments because Matilda f- done fucked up. And it's just long shots of them walking down the street. He's got his case full of weapons and she's got his plant in the one hand. 
But the shootout scene, like, he's so careful. Like, he's getting shot. He's just make sure that Matilda's okay and his plant is okay. He's going to stay away from the window. And he actually, like, throws the, throws the fire axe to distract them so he, he could snag the plant. But, yeah, it's very creative action. And what I like about it is that for a movie about a hitman, there's actually not that much violence apart mm-hmm. apart from I would say the, the 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 scene of Matilda's family getting killed is brutal, um, absolutely brutal, and then the final the final shootout um, is very very and I love the way. Um, I have mixed feelings about the ending. I because as much as I love the character of Leon, I think that it's I I think it was suitable for him to die at the end of this movie because the way that it's played out, you think he's going to get away cuz he pretends to be uh like there's a huge explosion in the apartment. And what he does is he like puts on the the gear of a police to, uh, a police officer, and they actually t- they, they the officers actually take him out of the building. That, like that's how he gets away. And he's walking down the street, and you think he's going to reunite with Matilda, and then here comes Gary Oldman, and you think, wow, so Matilda's going M- Matilda's going to get away, and Gary Oldman's going to kill Leon, but. He's he's got the ring trick, and uh, you want to fill in the audience on what the ring trick is? Oh yeah, I will also like say that I did call this one as soon as I saw him like his hands. I was like ring trick, ring trick. This <laughs> is because earlier on when we were talking about the montage, it starts and ends with actual. It shows you the entire break-in. So it starts with that first break-in where we get the drug dealer you were talking about, who is great, and that whole scene is great based up lighting the drugs on fire and then we get the montage and then afterwards we get another one where they've clearly been doing this for a while and she's like there's no door there's no doorbell and he's like well then knock so they, she knocks she talks to the guy and they hear the click of the gun mm-hmm. and Leon is quick to like grab her away because he knows it's about to go down and bullets fly through the wall and so he's like telling her like you gotta just handle this quickly whenever it goes like this I'll just keep talking forever. You got to handle it quickly. And he's like, oh, yeah, asshole, or whatever he says to him. He's like, you ever heard of the ring trick? And he's like, ring trick, whatever, what, what's that? And then he throws the, a grenade in there, and yeah. he shows um, Matilda his hand, and he got the ring from the grenade. So that's the ring trick is throwing a grenade at someone. I love it. <laughs> Taking the ring off the grenade. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, you brought up such a... a, a, a an interesting point that just made me think of 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 a recent movie trailer that immediately immediately turned me off because we're talking about Leon the professional and like I said it's it's hinted about about just how good he is but we're shown throughout this movie like we don't need to be he doesn't need to be like the kind of character that be that be like well they called me because I'm the best and you hear that line so many times from movies they're like well they're the best and you know why we had to call him this guy because he's the best or she's the best and I'm sick of hearing that show me that you're the best and have you seen the latest 
trailer for the new Top Gun movie? Oh, um, I actually, so I, I avoid a lot of trailers. Okay. I haven't seen the first one, so I haven't seen the trailer. I have to say, I know we try not to be haters, I guess, uh, on, on Cult Film Companion podcast, but I will say that I'm not a big Miles Teller guy. Now, I'm a big Tom Cruise guy, though. I think Tom Cruise is one of the last movie stars we have. You know? Oh, he is. He's also completely out of his mind, too. And... Oh, yeah. I mean, as a person, I wouldn't really <laughs> hang out with him, but he, he definitely, he's got, look, he's a good actor. Right, I think right, that right. a lot of great actors tend to actually be a little bit um, yeah, he, the normal, maybe. He's, <laughs> but, 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 but this just shows me, I mean, this is a line straight out of the new Top Gun trailer is they're all sitting around the table and this is supposed to be Tom Cruise's big introduction to coming back. They go, this lady goes, well, who's going to teach us? We're the best. And I'm just like, uh, I'm done. I don't <laughs> movie. I do. I'm done. If that's going to be your trailer line, I'm all set. <laughs> like, yeah, like we get, it. it's one of those things like that little meme is like, we get it. You're the coolest. All right. You're, yes, you're the best. Okay. Like, so I like a movie like this. It's refreshing that he doesn't have to, he's not trying to impress anybody. He's not trying to be the best. The guy, he just happens to be the best. He doesn't go around flaunting it. He lives in a shitty apartment. I mean, his best friend is a plant. <laughs> like, he's a, he's an interesting character. And as much as I um, um like the character and kind of wish that we kind of maybe, you know, maybe we had maybe one more movie and then he got killed, I'm okay with what what happened but um i would recommend to you and anyone else listening the original la femme nikita um directed by luke basson which uh like i said spawned a, a an english tv show and an english remake but in the french version of la femme nikita uh jean renault plays a cleaner very very similar to leon in this movie and actually, what happened was um, Luc Besson liked Jean Reno's performance so much in La Femme Nikita. That's basically how the genesis for Leon came. He kind of saw it because um, La Femme Nikita takes place in France. He kind of sees it as, um, I forget what the character's name is in La Femme Nikita, but um, uh, both both Jean Renault and uh, Luc Besson both said that Leon the Professional is kind of like that guy's American cousin. So check out La Femme Nikita if you want to get like a, a, a little um, taste of where they were coming from for, with Leon, the professional. And like I said, John, yeah, he's, I mean, he's much more, kind. he's more of an international star because he's multilingual. But I would, um, I would say check out the first, uh, Mission Impossible movie. I happen to think that it's one of the better Mission Impossible movies. Uh, I'm a little biased because I really like the director. Um, but it also features... Um, uh, da, 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 I was just talking his name all the time. Jean Renault in it. Um, uh, he's in that. And he's also in a very good movie called Ronin. Um, alongside Robert De Niro. Which is a pretty cool kind of a heist movie where they're getting 
international career criminals from all across the globe to work together. So he's, he, I mean, he's still working, and he, I mean, God bless the man being being multilingual in in this world today. He he can work all over the world, um, and in fact, if you are a French speaking native. If you get Leon the Professional in French, uh, you're not going to have a jarring distinction between voice and actor because, in fact, he did his own French dialogue for the French dub of this movie, whereas Natalie Portman and Gary Oldman were dubbed by French actors. So that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can do it, which I'm very impressive. I can only speak one and barely. So. Yeah, right. I was going to say, yeah. I, have, I have enough trouble struggling with the English language at times. But, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but that's like, yeah, I, I'm always impressed when there's actors that can do that kind of stuff or just people in general who you know, have these crazy jobs because they are able to speak like eight different languages and it's like, oh, like the world needs like interpreters like that like who are able to like really like, you know, understand more than two languages or stuff like that like those kind of like people are crazy like in a good way yeah yeah i'm impressed and a little bit jealous of them more than a little bit yeah i was gonna say more than a little bit um but would you say um so overall what are your thoughts on leon the professional um more good than bad yeah so i see why it's a movie that people talk about i see why the people I should say, I see why Natalie Portman is, you know, was catapulted from there into being a star. I love all the performances. I think the direction is there, like, definitely not bad. I think it's, it's, um, it's working. I think the editing is there. I think that the story is there. It's a little bit icky, that we obviously talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I think it definitely is compelling. And I said the action really, it being inventive, like really brings it up a notch for me. And the performance from Gary Oldman, I know we talked about it a lot at the yeah. beginning, but <laughs> I, I'm one of those people who I love a performance like this. It's not going to take me out of it. No, like, me either. Once you mentioned that it might not match the, the rest of the movie, potentially, I was like, oh, you know what? That's actually a good point. Yeah. The rest of it is very grounded. <laughs> but it says something that I didn't think that during the movie. I was just like, hell yeah, Gary Oldman is killing it right yeah. now. That's all I was thinking. So I would say those are, I mean, those are my really, my, my takeaways were the acting was just top notch across the board. Gary Oldman being the one that really stuck out to me. I would say, like I said, the action and then the um, one thing would be like, I think that you're supposed to like Matilda more than I do, which I know I've said already. But, uh, oh, and then one thing I did want to mention was we said at the beginning that you know her brother and she says it's in the film was the only one that he cared about yes. i think that she kind of gives us a little glimmer into the truth and we see leon working out and her doing yoga i think that she actually cared for her stepsister a little bit um because at the beginning of the film, when she was like arguing with her sister about doing, wanting to watch Transformers, her sister was doing the yoga, and then she would see her watching the same yoga tape or the same yoga instructor on TV. 
And I felt like that was a nod to like her being um, wanting to be like her sister a little bit. Like you know how like little kids will do what their siblings do, like if you know not always the right way, yeah. but they'll try to kind of copy them. I kind of felt like that might have been a little bit nod, like that she actually did, like she was trying to put up a, a brave front, like at the, the beginning. Yeah. And I don't, I do think that she really didn't care about her dad. Like, oh, I would have killed him if they didn't do it. Um, but. Like even the stepmom, I think I believe that she doesn't really care about the stepmom. But for some reason, the stepsister with that that little theme, I felt like I was a little bit of a nod. I don't know, maybe I'm misreading it. No, I, I think you're right. Um, I can't. I mean, for me, I, I I'm the oldest of three, so I I it didn't really register to me how much my younger brothers looked up to me. Um, but yeah, no, I could I can kind of see that, and I think that she's kind of got that twelve year old thirteen year old attitude like yeah I really don't care my sister wanted to lose some weight anyway I bet she looks the best she ever did but I think that deep down inside she's kind of putting on that that front um but I I mean again she her performance is so good in this movie I'm just thinking back that scene when she realizes that her family's been massacred and she has to think on her feet and she just walks to Leon's apartment and the tears are coming down her face and she's knocking on the door. She's like, please let me in. Like she re- like this is one of those performances. Um, she reminds me of um, another actress that started very, very young who also um, was sexualized as a <laughs> In, in performances, not not personally. Uh, jo- Jodie Foster, who played a prostitute in Taxi Driver, and um, there's a movie called Carney that I just watched where she she joins the carnival as a, a showgirl, and you know she's it's it's a very sexualized performance, but I think the important thing is that. In the case of Jodie Foster, in the case of Natalie Portman, their their family and their support system was very, very tight around them to the point where, because unfortunately, if you look on TMZ or you Google, like, former Disney star, like, they're all, like, train wrecks, and I, and I, again, I don't want to point the finger at parents and mean, like, you should have watched your kids a little bit closer, but it's just, it's kind of refreshing for me to see, um, someone like Jodie Foster put in these very gritty, very sexualized performances. And now is like, you know, a well-established actress that seems to have her feet on the ground and her head's not in the clouds. Like she she seems to be a very well-adjusted person as does Natalie Portman. Um, so, I mean, kudos to them, but yeah, I it, it can't be understated that for a twelve-year-old girl, like she she is just phenomenal in this movie. And yeah. what I would recommend to people that are, have listened to us talk, and if some of the content that we discussed is a little not to your liking, um, I strongly recommend checking out. The theatrical, the U.S. theatrical cut of Leon the Professional, and you'll basically get all that little 
all the questionable stuff, the kind of stuff that'll make you raise an eyebrow is it's most of it's gone from that movie. Um, and you get more of a straightforward, very tight action movie because yeah, it's, it's a pretty big difference. The theatrical cut is 109 minutes and the extended version that we just discussed is 133 minutes. So we're talking, uh, almost half an hour of stuff cut out. And a lot of that stuff is the, what I would say, um, and maybe you'll agree with me. It's kind of unnecessary. I think there's enough of a really good story here that we didn't really need any kind of, we don't need sexual tension between Matilda and Leon. That's just like, it's not necessary. There's a, there's, there's, yeah. so, there's enough going on here that we don't, that's not really necessary. And I think that the next time that I rewatch Leon the Professional, I am going to just stick with the theatrical cut and see if I miss anything. And I'm guessing that I'm probably not. Cause like I said, I kind of had that, that first, um, that first gut reaction after watching, rewatching it. I'm like, wow. Uh, yeah, that was that. There was a lot more there than I I, I thought there was. Um, yeah. But just uh, final thoughts. Wrap. Um, who would like? Why do you think that this movie has as not? It did very well financially and pretty well critically. Why do you think it's achieved such cult status? I have my own reason, theories and reasons, but um, just just off the top of your head, like what are the what are the things that that really stick out to you? That why it's still talked to about today when the other two dozen action movies that came out in nineteen ninety four, I can't even think of, but Leon the Professional right. is still talked about. Like what makes this one a little bit uh, ahead of the curve? I would say again, I think it's the performances, and I think it, it's the the way the action's shot like you said there's not too much action actually for a hitman movie but when it's there it's great and it's shot inventively and doing things that are fun so i think people like that and then i think that it's part of a like what is this aspect when it comes to that icky stuff that we were talking about and i think some people talk about that because of that potentially but Mm -hmm. really what i think it, it comes down to is performances Yes. I think it's the fact that it's, I mean, Gary Oldman, like, that's amp right there. That's perfect for a cult film. <laughs> you know what I yep, mean? Yep, There's, and then, like you said, like, the understated acting, you know, as Leon is just phenomenal because it really does seem like this guy who's, like, at certain points there's, like, no emotion, but it's, like, no emotion in this way where you know who he is like you get who his character is it's really done well and then we've talked about it to an extent like the fact that a 12 year old was able to accomplish what Natalie Portman did I think that's again gonna get people to talk about it you know what I mean oh absolutely um uh, you you pretty much yeah we're we're we're, uh, we're right on the same page in the same book about it all comes down to performances you've got three extremely talented actors doing three different styles of acting all incredibly well a very reserved intense performance from Jean Renault who at times is able to make you laugh when he's got a pig a pot 
a potholder on his hand and he's making a pick noise. He can make you laugh, but he can give you that that like death grip with those that like if you see him coming down the street, he's got those glasses and that beanie on. He's all business. And then you got Gary Oldman, who, like like you said, I I think that if this performance. Not this, not necessarily this character with these same lines delivered by a different actor. I don't think it would work. There's something about Gary Oldman's performance that he he's able to like just when you think like he's about to teeter over the edge and be completely like like he's like borderline cartoon character he like steps to that edge and then he steps right back and like he he's back to being intense and threatening and then again um if you're if you want to see a a performance from a an actress that is gifted beyond her years a 12 year old performance like this is it's it's like no other um and I think it, it it really does come down to the style of the direction. It's it's not typical. It was not typical for the time for this kind of action movie um, to be. It's got a very French European kind of style to it. So it's a very it's a stylish movie too. And I can definitely see why it's got such a cult reputation. And then you're gonna get the curiosity factor about the whole you know, whatever pretenses are going on underneath. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to see like the full fleshed out story, you want to hear what we were, what all the kind of fuss was about, uh, check out the extended cut. But I would recommend if for just a casual person, if you just want a really good action movie, or if you want to come back and revisit it, just stick with the theatrical version. Um, and it's interesting, um, Luke Besson made it very, very clear that this extended cut is not uh, a director's cut. He considers the theatrical cut to be his director's cut. So, take that. Oh, from I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of times an extended version, more often than not, nine times out of a ten, a director's cut is usually longer Um but then you've got that one out of ten um, where the director's cut is uh, is a little bit shorter and stuff is kind of taken out, and um, yeah, it's an interesting comparison to make. Um, I'm just glad that you know it, it, you. I, I'm I'm glad that I um, we're having this conversation. You've never seen this movie before. That's kind of a refreshing take because I usually am talking to people that have seen these movies numerous times. So. Um, uh, anything you want to tell us about coming up on on your show before we uh, wrap things up? Um, yeah, well, can I ask when it's going to be released? Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be sometime next week. We're recording. We can let the audience know we're recording on the twelfth. So, uh, give us about a week, two weeks from now. What 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 you got planned, and that should be about the time uh, this yeah. episode drops. Absolutely. So right now we're doing a Monday mini series where we talk about a short film that some of the people who work at GDT are working on. So myself, Kari, if you're a listener of GDT, you'll know Kari, and some other people are all involved in 
making a short film. We're actually almost done with it. And so on Monday, we're doing a mini-series every Monday where we talk about an aspect of that. We just had the sound guy on. I shouldn't say the sound guy. The guy who, who did the score for the film. His mm-hmm. name is Nathan Dale Harris. So he'll probably, that episode will be out. So check that out. We also have some back ones where we talk to one of the actors. We talk to, I got to be interviewed by, instead of me being the interviewer, I was the interviewee um, about the film. So that was fun. We're going to have loads more people to talk about that, like a director and other actors, some producers, other stuff like that. So stay tuned for those. Tuesdays, we have a Marvel-related thing, so um, I think that Iron Man will probably be the most recent one out right now. We just, we're just starting to go through the MCU, and then we're also going to come out with anytime a new movie comes out, like when Thor comes out, we'll be reviewing that, as well as new Marvel shows. So those are all on Tuesdays. And then Wednesday or Thursday, we have a bonus episode, a regular bonus episode that's about a new TV show or a new movie. So... Coming up is the Kenobi show. I know we're going to be reviewing every episode of that on those. Oh, that's an example of that. If you're into Star Wars shows, we'll be doing that. But we also do any, like we did the Batman, we did other things that just came out. And in Severance, if you're a fan of Severance, we did that on one of the bonus episodes. And then on Fridays, we have our full-length episodes. Sorry, I know this is a mouthful, but we have our full-length episodes where we interview independent filmmakers and other people that are involved in independent filmmaking. So we just interviewed screenwriter Nick Asunto, who has a couple screenwriters, has a couple scripts on the blacklist right now, and who has some that are in production or in, you know, being optioned right now. So can I just interrupt? Can I interrupt for one one second? I uh, just for just for listeners, um, this is the good blacklist. There's there's two blacklists in Hollywood. the The bad blacklist is if you do something naughty and nobody wants to put you in their movies anymore. But a, a, a script that is blacklisted is, if I'm not mistaken, the top 10 or 12 unproduced scripts of the year. So this is a good blacklist. I yeah. just wanted to clarify that for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. good blacklist. Yeah. To be honest, he's got two, he's got two or three that are in, that are on, on the top 10 right now. So That's he's, awesome. He's some, some crazy stuff. Yeah, so that's really cool. We got to talk to him. And then we also got to talk to Steve Chorney, who does a bunch of artwork for, um, so if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you've seen his artwork. If you just saw the new Nick Cage movie, Unbra- The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, then you saw his artwork on that poster as well. Wow. And I talked to him about that. So he, that was really cool. Like, like um, aspect of filmmaking that you don't get to learn about a lot. So it's it really a, cool getting to talk to him. It, I would have to say the movie poster is a lost art. Like, they used mm. to hire, if you look back at some of the movies in the 60s and the 70s, they used to hire artists to paint these beautiful posters. And nowadays, mm-hmm. with the exception, obviously, of 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 the, the man you just mentioned, a lot of times now it's just like Photoshop crap and nobody thinks twice about it. Um, that's awesome because I think that is a lost art when it comes to cinema. So uh, kudos to you guys for, for highlighting that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was, he was amazing to talk to. Me. So I really, yeah. If you guys, if anyone's interested in that kind of stuff, like he was great. And we talk a little bit about how it's a lost art as well. We talk about, you know, you know, does he lament that a little bit? Like, is he frustrated with that? Is it coming back even? Maybe. So, I hope so. Um, I, I like yeah, I said, yeah. yeah I, I appreciate it. So yeah. you guys got the full spectrum covered as far as like a. You're all over the place with the pop culture stuff, and uh, you don't mind. That's what we try to do. We want to have something for everyone. That's awesome, though. Um, so I'm going to make sure to have all the links for for you guys in the episode. 
and uh, Duncan, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm glad that you've got a, a kick out of Leon the Professional. And um, hopefully we can have you on the show again someday, too. And maybe I could pull out another weird movie that you might you might get a kick out of. Um, but uh, I, I would love that. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm glad that we got to have this talk about Leon the Professional or just the Professional or Leon, whatever you want to call it. Oh, one quick thing I did want to mention because you mentioned it several times and it's something that I also agreed with and it, this just came into my mind. Um, yes, I found the character of Matilda a little bit grating. I, I didn't really relate to her as much as I think that the, the filmmaker wanted me to. I was very much more on Team Leon. And there was actual talks and a script written for a sequel to this. Obviously, um, not with Leon because he, he's dead. Um, but uh, as Matilda um, growing up later later in life and being a cleaner... And that never materialized, uh, but the basis for that script was turned into a movie called Columbiana, I think it's called. Um, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Columbiana, uh, which is stars Zoe Saldana, um, that uh, was kind of the basis for the 2011 movie, so... If you kind of want to see what Matilda might have been like growing up, uh, check out Columbiana, director, uh, directed by, oh, I'm going to mess this guy's name up, Oliveria Megaton, and uh, starring uh, the very talented Zoe Saldana. Um, so, great. Um, who, of course, uh, you guys will be covering um, in the MCU because she is... Um, Gamora. I'm sorry, the Gamora, name escaped. Yeah. The, the name escaped me. I'm like, I know she's in the MCU. What was it? Yeah, and um, yeah. uh, one of my more anticipated movies uh, coming in the MCU is um, I'm very much looking forward actually to. I can't believe I'm saying this because I was never a big fan of Thor, uh, but I loved oh. Thor Ragnarok, and I'm very much looking forward mm -hmm. to the new Thor movie. And I'm very much looking forward to the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So lots of good stuff. Uh, Duncan and his crew has got you covered on all bases. So please follow them on Twitter. Please listen to their show. Show them some love. Thank you all for joining me on the Cult Film Companion. Duncan, I thank you again, sir. Been a real oh, thank you for having you've me. You've been an excellent uh, guest. I can bleh, talk sometimes, uh, you would think. <laughs> but uh, with all that being said... Uh, from Duncan, my name is Chris from the Cold Film Companion. Good night.